Well, yesterday, Saturday, was week two of a canine agility class with Inga. The class is taught, ironically, by a woman named Kat. There are all sorts of obstacles set up in this gym that the dogs need to negotiate, dogs of all different sizes. There's um, sort of a balance beam and an A-frame and a tunnel, and they're supposed to do it at speed. And of course, some of the obstacles they love, you know, they want to do it just because it's fun. But some of them take some cajoling. And in fact, there was a Weimar honor there who did not want to go through the tunnel at all. So Kat, you know, she, she threw in a dog treat and the owner was on the other side of the tunnel sort of calling her no-go. It was just two rear ends sticking out of the tunnel on either side. But then finally Kat went to the refrigerator and she got some cheese. And she gave a piece of cheese to the owner on the one side and she threw some cheese into the middle from the other side and bingo, that Weimaraner was right in through there and you know, lots of good dog and cheers and wagging tail. Kat just said, you know what? She needed a bigger paycheck. <laughs> the thing is, we may not realize it, but much of our early journey as humans is also motivated by the pursuit of reward or pleasure. It's not a bad thing. God has designed the world in such a way that when we work with our truest desires, we are propelled toward becoming mature humans. We strive to do things better than we might ordinarily to receive recognition and praise. And that, of course, brings us confidence and uh, we're able to do the things that we tried so hard to learn. We work hard at school to get a good grade. We get good at a sport for the pleasure that it brings us to win, but then we actually get strong and confident. Maybe we learn leadership skills. Uh, we save up to buy a beautiful prom outfit and go through hours of preparations so that someone will notice us. And of course, that propels us into this whole wonderful and complicated business of being in relationship with another person. Well, it all feels good. We work really long hours for a paycheck because with that money we can have things that make our life secure and enjoyable. All I'm saying is something that we all already know, which is that pleasure is a big motivator. It motivates us to venture out, to get our lives together, to try hard. But at a certain point in our journey, if we are paying attention, this striving after pleasure, for the pleasure itself, in whatever form we seek it, well, it no longer pays out enough dividend. It can be quite a shock when we come up against this in midlife, but actually, it is helpful. It's an invitation to reorientation, because ultimately, for the person who chooses to follow Jesus, the pleasure principle as primary source of motivation shifts. Ronald Rollheiser in his book, Sacred Fire, will go so far as to say this, mature discipleship is predicated on having essentially broken the pleasure principle as the basic source of motivation 
in our lives. Yikes. I'm going to say it one more time. Mature discipleship is predicated on having essentially broken the pleasure principle as basic source of motivation in our lives. But of course, in some ways, it's a relief to hear that. Because despite what advertising says to us all the time, we cannot buy happiness. We can't be happy, 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 happy all the time. We know it. While we may be able to buy little short-lived pleasures, we cannot buy happiness. And deep down, we know it. I remember buying a pair of shoes once, and when I went home, I kept them in the box for a full week because I knew as soon as they got out of the box, they would just become shoes. And they would no longer have that sort of exciting promise of newness. We cannot purchase happiness, but more than that, we cannot ensure happiness through a good vacation, a second home, even a marriage. We cannot secure happiness by giving birth. Happiness or pleasure has a role to play in directing our energy but for the mature Christian, it ultimately takes a back seat in directing our lives. We have to learn how to base our decisions on more than making ourselves feel good. And I'm not saying that being Christians means we're supposed to be averse to pleasure. That is not true. But there is something more important that we are after than our pleasure. Another goal we set our eyes on. And actually, the really good news is that it is much more attainable. We are after pleasing God. We are after pleasing Jesus. That is the shift. I had a seminary professor who used to say that he often had people come to him saying that they were unhappy and they wanted him to tell them how they could become happy. And he would say, well, I don't really have the answer to that, but I can tell you how to live a godly life. And the funny thing is that living a godly life usually leads to peace, kind of contentment with the actual life that you have, and even to happiness. That's what we're after, contentment with the actual life that we have and giving it to God. In our collect, that prayer that we prayed in the beginning of our liturgy, we prayed this morning, give us the help of your grace that in keeping your commandments, we may please you both in will and deed through Jesus Christ our Lord. All lives, including very holy Christian lives, have some share of joy, sorrow, grinding drudgery, and moments of peaceful gratitude. That varied topography is part of life, this side of paradise. So if your life looks like all those things, you're living it right. It's not a failure if you're not happy all the time. It's real. It's the real life that we're given. There's no such thing as a life of constant bliss or peace. But in the midst of that journey as Christians, we ask to live a life pleasing to God. 
And that's actually very realistic because the good news is that God has promised to help us do that. It won't always look perfect, but he will help us get better by his word given in scripture and through his Holy Spirit sent by Jesus. C.S. Lewis has a funny story explaining how it is that Jesus tells us to be perfect. And some roll their eyes at that. Given, you know, our human condition, it seems a little unreasonable. But the thing is, Jesus is very interesting in helping us to become perfect. Lewis explains that God offers help, but only help that assists us to become more Christ-like. And we sometimes would prefer to do without that kind of help. Lewis compares it to when he was a child with a toothache. He knew if he went to his mother, she would give him aspirin, but she would also call the dentist, and that would involve all sorts of fiddling he preferred to avoid. He wanted the pain to go away, but he didn't really want the whole fix. That can be like us, you know, with God. Just take away the pain, God. I don't really want you to fix me. But Jesus promises to assist us to grow in goodness. Paul tells us in Philippians, For I am confident in this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Now, it is also true that Jesus will leave us alone if that's what we really want. But his preference is to come alongside us and ever so patiently to walk with us to work with us throughout the challenges of our lives. In today's gospel reading, Jesus tells us how to live a godly life. He's taking the familiar commandments of the Torah, of the Old Testament, and he is sharpening them, making them about the heart, not just outward appearance. The first, of course, is about murder. Only when Jesus elaborates, he clarifies that his disciples aren't just prohibited from killing people, they must deny anger any foothold in the heart. Will followers of Jesus experience anger? Yes, of course. But that reaction must be quickly turned over to God. We are forbidden the soothing amusement of insults because that sort of snide dismissal starts a destructive fire in ourselves. If you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Instead, we're supposed to be, quite frankly, ridiculously eager to make up. And actually, I challenge you today, if there is somebody that is on your heart that you know I need to apologize to the person, text them today. You can do it during the anthem. <laughs> Hi, I, I need to talk to you later on today. Do you have a moment? There's something more important than being right, and according to Jesus, it is being reconciled. <clears throat> Jesus upholds the covenant of marriage as binding. And this, of course, is always difficult to preach about because the wounds of divorce are painful enough without judgment and guilt piled up from the pulpit. So, to be absolutely clear, nobody here, most especially me, stands above anyone else in righteousness. We all stand at the foot of the cross, as that beautiful hymn said. That's where we are, at the foot of the cross, together. But marriage is one of the ways God blesses humanity, and it is important, and it is not easy. 
And that is probably why Jesus talks about it quite a bit and the great priority of remaining faithful in it and being supported in that. Specific in this teaching that we heard today about divorce is a situation in which a person is looking for pleasure beyond their spouse, actually in their imagination. It's called lust. There can be this little voice that whispers to us in the middle of life that things have gotten dull or disappointing. We long for the intensity of feeling of our youth. And that little voice whispers, deserve a second honeymoon, a jaunt into romance. But that little voice is just the pleasure principle, making its old demands. Where's the cheddar cheese? I'm looking for the cheddar cheese. Where is it? Jesus says that voice is to be rebuked. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. For Jesus, the stakes are very high when we are breaking relationships. In the case of the earlier reconciliation story in the Bible, remember that person is told that even if he's on his way to worship and he's bought the goat and there they are in Jerusalem on the steps ready to go in and he suddenly remembers, oh my gosh, I have this problem with my friend. He's supposed to leave the animal there and walk the three-day journey back to Galilee because remember the Sermon on the Mount is given in Galilee. Make him ends and then he can come back to worship. Is he exaggerating in this story? Well, yes, of course. Is he exaggerating the story about tearing your eye out? Yes, of course. But Jesus puts such a high priority on living in obedience to his Father's commands, which are ultimately life-giving and the way to contentment. And the thing is, doing the godly thing is often sacrificial. Quite frankly, it doesn't at first blush appeal to our old pleasure principle. But in the long term, Pleasing Jesus will bring us joy that is unsurpassed. It's way better than a chunk of cheddar cheese. In closing, I want to share an image with you, and if you're not a dog person, I apologize for the whole sermon. But, um, so after we did our, uh, our you know, agility training class, of course, I googled uh, the National Canine Championships 2023 just to see what Inger's future competition was going to look like. And, I mean, really, if you want to feel good, just do that. Just Google that. But, you know, there were all these different breeds whizzing around the course alongside their handlers who were trying to keep up with them. Lark the Papillon, you know, ears flapping behind as his paws are extended over the jump. But the one that really just honestly broke my heart was B, the Shetland Sheepdog. She ran that course with afterburners on, you know, and Jennifer, her handler, good dog, good dog, B. And then at the end, she whips around after the last thing, and she just jumps her whole canine body into the arms of her handler. The reward was the relationship itself was the love and trust that she had built up over those 
three years of working with Jennifer and getting some course corrections here and there, but it was the relationship itself that was the reward. And that, of course, is true for us as well. We have a reward in Jesus himself. And I got to tell you, I want to be like B. I want to just run this race with Jesus helping me along the way. And at the end, I want to jump into his arms and I want to hear him say, good girl. <laughs> good for you. He's going to say that to you. And it's worth it. Amen.